0: It's really good to be here together to worship God. We are in the presence of the God who loves us, the God who heals us, the God who sustains us. We're going to come together to God with our prayers now, our prayers of approach. And once I have led us in a prayer, we will join together in the Lord's Prayer And as is our practice here at Hillhead, we invite everybody to say that in whichever version you know, and whichever is your first language. We just love the blend of different languages. Uh, We certainly have Welsh and French here today as well as English, and I know there are more as well. Um, If anyone's not sure of the words, a version will also appear on the screen. That's my latest edition, because I realise not everybody does know the words. So let's pray together. How blessed we are, holy God, to meet together freely and in the safety of this building, set aside for the work of your church. How blessed to have no fear of sanction or arrest for daring to name ourselves Christian. How blessed to know that our nation is governed in ways that are orderly and predictable. How blessed to have schools and hospitals available free at the point of need. How blessed we are, holy God, and we thank you. But please, Lord, well, not always. How easily we become displeased with church if it doesn't quite fit our preferences. How easily we express our displeasure with those who see Christianity in ways we find challenging. How easily we are displeased with politicians whose decisions don't match our expectations. How easily we are displeased with education or health service, all too sure of their shortcomings. Please, Lord, well, no, not always. How pleased and blessed we are that you hear our heart cry and the heart cries of billions of people we will never know and that your love and compassion is for all creation. Forgive us our, our tendency to ingratitude and criticism and lead us to creative constructive responses that will bring blessing to others. Show us the part that we must play for the inbreaking of your kingdom for which we now pray saying together Our Father who art in heaven hallowed be thy need thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread Our Bible reading, we're going to listen to a poem and it's actually a recording of a poem um, because it's one that I think benefits from just listening to somebody else read it and there will be a few images. Um, just in case you wonder, the recording ends with white noise so it's not that everything's gone doolally at the end but it, the recording will end with some white noise.
1: I am not yet born, oh, hear me. Let not the blood-sucking bat, or the rat, or the stoat, or the club-footed ghoul come near me. I am not yet born, console me. I fear that the human race may with tall walls wall me, with strong drugs dope me, with wise lies lure me. On black racks, rack me, in bloodbaths, roll me. I am not yet born. Provide me with water to dandle me, grass to grow for me, trees to talk to me, sky to sing to me, birds on a white light in the back of my mind to guide me. I am not yet born. Forgive me. For the sins that in me the world shall commit. My words when they speak me. My thoughts when they think me. My treason engendered by traitors beyond me. My life when they murder by means of my hands. My death when they live me. I am not yet born. Rehearse me in the parts I must play and the cues I must take when old men lecture me, bureaucrats hector me, mountains frown at me, lovers laugh at me, the white waves call me to folly and the desert calls me to doom, and the beggar refuses my gift, and my children curse me. I am not yet born. Oh, hear me. Let not the man who is beast or thinks he is God come near me. I am not yet born. Oh, fill me with strength against those who would freeze my humanity, would dragoon me into a lethal automaton, would make me a cog in a machine, a thing with one face, a thing, and against all those who would dissipate my entirety, would blow me like thistledown, hither and thither, hither and thither, like water held in the hands would spill me. Let them not make me a stone, and let them not spill me, otherwise kill me.
2: Our reading this morning is from 2 Timothy, starting at chapter 3, verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. So that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, And in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I solemnly urge you, proclaim the message. Be persistent, whether the time is favourable or unfavourable. Convince, rebuke and encourage with the utmost patience in teaching. For the time is coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine, but having itching ears they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own desires and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander (laughs) away to myths. As for you, always be sober, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, carry out your ministry fully. As for me, I am already being poured out as a libation, And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. From now on there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearing.
0: I wouldn't call what I'm going to share this morning so much a sermon as a series of reflections arising from my experience of ministry and discipleship. And yet I hope there might be some bits and bobs that might connect with everybody's story of faith, relationship with scripture and with tradition that is helpful for our own ongoing individual and collective discipleship and ministry. It's really interesting. Um, this is not in my sermon notes that we sang uh, the, the song at the beginning of the of the service was set me as a seal upon your heart. Uh, the first time I heard that was at my induction service at Hillhead five years ago and it struck me as very precious. Um, it also was what we used as the introit the first Sunday after you knew that I'd been diagnosed with cancer. That was completely coincidental, but it is a song that carries with me, and that's one of the themes I think I want us to think about and take away, is what is it that stays with us? What are the Bible readings, the songs, the moments, the prayers or poems, whatever it is, that stay with us and return to us to shape us in our own lives of faith? In the poem, Prayer Before Birth, which we just heard um, on the recording, Louis McNeice, fearful of the world into which a new life was being brought at the end of the Second World War, imagined a child, an unborn child, praying and saying, this is my prayer, and if this prayer is not heard, then please don't let me live. But at the middle of that prayer is just a phrase that was seen as important by the person who wrote some Bible teaching notes back in 1997. And MacNeese refers to the request of a child for a white light at the back of my mind to guide me. And I'd like to suggest that that white light at the back of our minds might be those stories, those prayers, those songs, those places, those moments when we touched something that changed us. Uh, These are the Bible reading notes. Words for today, 1997. And on the uh, set of readings for Sunday, the 7th of December, which was on the 2 Timothy passage, I ended up with this little prayer. Lord, when we read the Bible, help us to find the essentials of each passage and to apply them in the spirit of Jesus. I think that's quite a useful prayer. Though probably needs a bit of unpacking as to what we mean by the essentials of each passage. And how we apply them in the spirit of Jesus. But that's kind of a starting point for my reflections. It was the second Sunday of Advent 1997. And the set passage in the reading notes was 2 Timothy 3.14-4.8. to 4, 8. That Bible reading on that day took on huge personal significance for me. Because as I read it, it seemed not that Paul was addressing the young Timothy, but that God was speaking to me. I can't prove that. It's not written down that that is what happened, but that's how I experienced it. And certainly I believe that to be the case. It was what the Greeks would call a crisis moment, a crisis a hinge point in my experience in which I felt I had to say yes or no to a question that would inform the rest of my life. Given Paul's apparent ambivalence towards the place of women in the church, and given that the letters of Timothy have some of his strongest and sternest apparently anti-women words, it struck me and continues to strike me as both ironic and humorous quite how many women ministers asked to identify a scripture linked to their call will choose either this passage or something else from the letters to Timothy. Of course, over the years, there are other passages of scripture that have become important to me. Um, The story of the Great Commission, the parable of the sheep and goats, which I had um, used at my ordination service, at my induction in Leicestershire, a decade ago, uh, more than a decade ago now, the preacher spoke on the Nazareth Manifesto in Luke 4 and here at Hill Head, Ruth, when she preached, chose to speak on Philippians 2. And those readings have gained significance for me because I connect them with those points into my life. And perhaps this kaleidoscopish image that we use with the children is not such a bad one, you know. Um, A long, long time ago, I was reading a book on images of the church. And the author said, you know, we have all these images of God or images of the church, and they're like the little chips of glass in a kaleidoscope. And as we twist them and turn them in the light of God, in the mirror of our experience, so we find new patterns and new understandings that are yet more beautiful. Might that be the same with these Bible readings? with the hymns, the prayers that have resonated with us. That actually as time goes on, we mix them around and twist them and as God's light opens them up to us, we see something yet more beautiful that we had never imagined. I wonder what those readings, prayers, poems, hymns might be for you. Maybe something from your wedding or a blessing. From your baptism, from your church membership. Maybe something you read. Maybe something from a funeral even. We've all got them. We've all got those things that really inform our lives and make us think. What we need to do, I think, is to bring those together, illuminated by that white light to guide. And that will help us to grow and adapt and continue to serve ever so easy i think to conclude that we know what a bible passage has to say we know what jesus was saying in this story we know what the purpose of that old testament passage is but do we one of my practices around about once a year is i go back to that 2 timothy passage and i reread it because in those few words it's a heck of a lot to get your head around This charge issued to a young man that I heard as a charge to a relatively young woman. I was still in my 30s at the time. This clear, unambiguous call to preach was only the very beginning of a long and challenging journey along a path of learning and continuing to learn what it means to be a minister. I just want to share with you briefly some of the things that have struck me at different times from that passage, not because this is all there is to say, or this is the only way to understand those bits, but as an illustration of how as we turn the chips in the light of the Holy Spirit, in the light of God's inspiration, we see new things. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful. Let's just set aside for the moment that Paul would have been referring to the Hebrew Scriptures and most probably the Greek translation called the Septuagint, not the Bible as we know it. But in these words are simple, important ideas. The fact that Scripture is inspired by God, or even God breathed, is not a claim of infallibility. We need to be very, very careful that we don't confuse a specific English translation of the Bible with absolute inerrancy. We can't. We're humans. We have to make interpretive and translation decisions. If I were to read the Bible in French, I would find subtle nuances that I don't find in English. If I read it in Welsh, there would be something subtle different because of those choices under God's inspiration that have been made. So we have to be very careful. It's inspired by God. It doesn't mean that God wrote it. It's not like the Koran. It is a collection of stories. All scripture is useful. All of it. Those long lists in numbers. Those texts of terror, such as the, the rape of Tamar and others, that make us shudder. All of it's useful? I think useful is an important word. It doesn't say all of it's there to be accepted unquestioningly. All of it is simply a record of what God wanted us to hear. But all of it, even the difficult bits, has got a value and is useful as a tool for those who try to follow Jesus. I was at the Assembly this week um, over in Motherwell and BMS were launching their new dignity campaign which is looking at gender-based violence and they are using some of these texts of terror and saying you need to engage with these awful things that you kind of avoid. Not to say, oh, well, that's okay then, but to say what does it say to us about humanity? What does it say to us about God? It's All useful, it doesn't mean to say all of it has the same importance and and immediate resonance. Usefulness comes in all kinds of ways, to teach, to train, to correct, to rebuke. And I have a sense that those are just some ideas. I think Paul's not saying this is, that's it, that's what it's all for. But actually it's really useful. It's a diverse set of, of writings and you should use it to help you to grow and develop. So that's the first thing. That's where I got to one year. Around the time I was leaving college and going to be ordained, so that's roughly 10 years ago, 11 years ago, 11, Um, it was this that caught me. The time will come when people, to suit their own desires, will gather around them a number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Do you know, we preachers love to be liked. We actually find it very easy just to say what we think that people would like to hear, whatever that might be. Wouldn't it be really easy to preach condemnation on one group of people based on a very selective reading of scripture and just ignore all those things that talk about the selfishness of the wealthy and the self-righteousness of the religious? And wouldn't it be really easy to preach what society expects of us in a kind of wishy washy way that denies the possibility of responsibility or culpability, that just ignores like that nasty word called sin and institutional sin and corporate sin. Over the years I have joked many times that when I'm preaching to liberals I become an evangelical, and when I'm preaching to evangelicals I become a liberal. Because the temptation is to preach what people think they want to hear. And that isn't always what God needs me to hear, never mind anybody else. Preaching the gospel is not people pleasing. That's a lesson I continue to learn. I wonder how it is for you. I wonder how it is for me when I sit where you do. Am I open to be challenged and changed? Or actually, do I think deep down, do you know what, I've got this sorted already, it's fine. I don't actually need to hear anything different. And what I want you, minister, to say is what makes me feel good. Don't just tell people what they want to hear. Keep your head in all situations. Oh, do you know, I wish I could if I could be like some of the other ministers who don't get wound up by things, who don't get cross with people and say things they wish they hadn't said, that just always seem to have the right word to calm a tense situation, it's really easy for me to not keep my head. And at one level, I think, do you know what? Even Jesus didn't. When he was in the temple and he saw what was going on, I don't say anything, Um, Excuse me, Mr. Moneychanger, if it's all right with you, could you just stop that? Because it really slightly offends me. He didn't. He shouted at them. So maybe there is a time to shout. Maybe there is a time to get angry. But I suspect Jesus kind of knew what was going on. Keep your head in all situations. It's not always easy for any of us, wherever we are, because we all have our own ministry, our own discipleship. Sometimes it's hard to keep our heads. Endure hardship. Well, I don't know about you, but I'd rather not, actually. I'd rather not have any struggles and nasty bits to deal with. But the call to follow Jesus brings with it in some way, shape or form, hardship. At its very worst, full-time ministry brings with it loneliness and isolation. The weight of carrying secrets that can never be shared as well as the equal weight of confidences that have to be disclosed because some law has been broken, some offence has been committed. And wondering and worrying how this or that situation or relationship will work out. It can be very hard. Just as every other role in life can be hard. I'm sure there are resonances for teachers, for doctors, for engineers, accountants, lawyers, whatever you do times when it feels lonely and isolating and and you're on your own carrying the weight of this stuff i don't hear that as a defeatist saying or a fatalistic way to say well yeah okay it's just going to happen perversely i hear it in an encouraging way that you know hardship will come There will be times when you wonder why on earth you followed this Jesus, why on earth you accepted this call, took on that job. But somehow you will have the inner reserves to face it. That bright white light at the back of our minds that just somehow pierces the darkness. I think sometimes we need to bring these kind of words and these situations into dialogue with more comforting, reassuring words and remembered experiences that were better. And this week, it struck me the phrase that said, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. It's as near as makes no odds, 17 years from that profound and unshakable call to ministry And this is somehow a reminder if one were needed to hang on in there. I don't think I particularly need that reminder at the moment, but who knows what's around the corner. But more important than that sense of um, hanging on in there is a reminder to carry with me all that experience. We carry with us all our experience. Everything that we've learned along the way, the slips and the trips... The struggles and the failures are just as important as the successes, the delights, the privileges, the mountaintop moments. They're all those chips of glass in the kaleidoscope that we mix and change and make a beautiful picture from. I think for me it's a reminder that before I'm a minister, I'm a disciple. A person doing her best to follow Jesus, guided by the inner bright light of faith working out the answer to that imagined pre-birth prayer. I have got a bit more, but I've run out of time. I just want to go back to the, those words of Paul as we finish. In the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you... This charge. If the Apostle Paul was speaking to you, what might that charge be?
3: Before we bow in prayer, allow me to follow up on Louis MacNeice's poem prayer before birth, written perhaps, well, it was 1944, so perhaps within a few months of the D-Day landings, and we hear of his fears for later generations. Many of us here belong to those later generations, and we may recognize how many of those fears seem to have been realized in our time. So we have to ask ourselves if we have seen the world as a threat, society as a threat, as McNeese seemed to, a real haunting threat, if we are passive sort of individuals? Or is it an opportunity if we rise to the challenge and become involved in and influencing? the society and the world of our day, active in whatever ways are open to us. Engagé was the key word for French existentialists of those pre- and post-war days. Available, if you like, which is the word that some of their successors use extensively are we now in the church and personally available involved, engaged not just to perpetuate the institution of the church but to be a transforming power in society now let us pray Gracious God, we pray first for those African countries facing the crisis of Ebola, thanking you for the resources and personnel going there from countries like ours to assist. May more wealthier countries too realize the need to share what they have, even in times of economic stringency. Lord, Save us from the illusion that the nations of the world can live independently of each other. Save us from all inclination to turn our backs on human need, even when there's a personal cost to pay. Thank you for the withdrawal of our combat troops from Afghanistan, but we beg you to save us from the illusion that war can settle international disputes justly. We ask you by the power of your Holy Spirit so to guide the minds of the leaders of the nations that other seemingly interminable conflicts may be brought to a just and peaceful settlement in countries where millions are becoming refugees like Iraq and Syria, Gaza and Palestine and Israel, in Ukraine and Pakistan, in Sudan and Somaliland. And we pray that unrest and injustice may be ended in other European and Middle Eastern lands too. In Britain, as we progress through a time of political uncertainty, save us from the illusion that our social and economic problems can be solved by manoeuvring between political parties, brushing spiritual and moral concerns aside, and failing to deal with the human rights and needs of individuals. Help us, we pray, individually and as a congregation of Christ's people to search diligently for ways in which we can best serve our fellow citizens with persistent, committed, self-sacrificial involvement (coughs) and save us from the illusion that we can help build the kingdom of God without practicing and teaching the way of Jesus as we best understand it for today. Hear our prayers also, Lord God, for those individuals known to us who are in particular need at this time, for those who mourn or are anxious for loved ones, for those who hesitate to face grave decisions, For those facing temptations they find hard to resist. For those who find it difficult to map out a future for themselves and face ongoing unemployment or underemployment. May each of these, your children, know the guidance of your Holy Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name.
0: May the God who calls each of us to discipleship, who enriches each of us with a treasure of stories, hymns and memories, lighten our path and lead us into discipleship and ministry more exciting and more challenging than we hope or imagine today and every day, forever and ever.